Man, I know a lot of y'all are parents. You have kids, and kids ask amazing questions, right? I mean, you have not lived until your, ch- your child at a dinner party turns to a guest and says, why do you have such a big body? Kids ask amazing questions. Did you know that a four-year-old girl asks on average 390 questions a day? I mean, if you're a mom and you're spending most of your day at home with your child and they're asking 390 questions during their waking hours, oh, it's exhausting, right? Kids ask amazing questions like, in the old days, was everything in black and white? They ask questions like, Dad, when are you going to die? And, and if you die, am I going to get a new dad? Hey, not that I want to get rid of you, but I'm not quite ready to take care of myself. Kids ask amazing questions like, what did it feel like on your last day as a kid? Kids have a lot of questions because life has a lot of questions. Well, what would it be like? If we lived the kind of lives that the people who watched us would would come and they would have questions about our lives, what what would it be like if, if the way we lived was so distinct from the way the people around us lived that they would naturally come to us and ask questions about the hope that we have because of Jesus? Wouldn't our gospel conversations come so much more easily? Wouldn't it seem so much more natural to to have gospel conversations where we live and work and play if, if people often came to us and asked questions about the way we're living our lives? See, Jesus lived a question raising life. The way Jesus went through life raised questions like, how is it that you, a Jew, speak to me, a Samaritan? Questions like, why do your disciples not wash their hands or fast? Or questions like, are you the Christ or should we look for someone else? Or questions like, who is this that even the winds, and the waves obey him. Jesus lived a question-raising life. And we see it more clearly than any other place at the way he ended his life. The way Jesus died raises more questions than anything else that he did. And last week, we began looking at the last day of Jesus' life. We looked last week at the religious trial that Jesus went through before the Sanhedrin. The high priest convened this, convened this illegal trial taking place in the middle of the night. And charges were trumped up against Jesus. And when they were done with their religious trial, they took Jesus to the civil authority, Pilate, 
And we pick up the story in Mark chapter 15, verse 1. Early in the morning, the chief priests and the elders and scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation. And binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. So in this civil portion of Jesus' trial, Pilate would be over this examination. And Pilate was the Roman governor of the province of Judea. And the province of Judea for the Roman authorities would have been a choice assignment. So we can learn from Pilate's life that Pilate was adept at political maneuvering. He had a close friend in power in Rome. And that close friend had, had placed him in authority in Judea. But Pilate was also not only politically adept, but, but he was merciless in the way that he wielded power. And he was not popular with the Jews. In fact, the Jewish leaders and Pilate had had repeated conflicts during his rule. And so the one thing... Despite all his political connections, the one thing that could trip up Pilate in his life was if he was not able to maintain peace in Judea. And in walk the Jewish authorities with a man named Jesus. Pilate probably had heard about Jesus, but he had never met him. And so Pilate questioned him, verse 2, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus lived a question-raising life. Pilate asked Jesus this question, are you the king of the Jews? Are you Jesus king? Are you an ally or an adversary? Are you someone for me to make a deal with or are you someone for me to take out? Are you friend or foe? Who do you say you are, Jesus? And Jesus answered him, It is as you say. Jesus says, Yes, I am the king. Uh, but I'm a king like no other king. I'm the one that, that had been promised from God from the beginning of Immediately after the fall, all the way through the Old Testament scriptures, this coming king, this coming king, this coming king. And Jesus is that king who's now come, but, but he's a king unlike any other king, as we'll see in this passage. The chief priest began to accuse him harshly. The chief priests hated Jesus because of his claims to be the Messiah. The chief priests hated Jesus because the Messiah, Jesus, didn't live the way they expected the Messiah, Jesus, to live. The chief priests, the, the Jewish authorities, looked at Jesus' life, and, and they had too many questions about who Jesus was. So the chief priests, accusing him harshly, and Pilate questioned him again, saying, do you not answer? 
See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer. So Pilate was amazed. Jesus lived a question-raising life. And here, Pilate, looking at Jesus, is amazed. The word amazed means to be an in wonder of. Pilate was awestruck by Jesus. There is something amazing about the Messiah, Jesus. Even in his suffering and in his death on the cross, we look at the Messiah, Jesus, and we are awestruck. The cross, the betrayal, the sacrifice of the Son of God demands worship. And so Pilate, awestruck by Jesus, now not by Jesus' answer, but by Jesus' silence. If you turn to Isaiah 53, verse 7, you'll see that the Messiah, the suffering servant, would do just as Jesus did. He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and the sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus, Messiah, King, Servant, is silent before Pilate, and Pilate is amazed. He had seen powerful leaders. He had seen kings. But he had never seen a king with power and meekness at the same time. He had seen kings obliterate populations, but he had never seen a king willing to be obliterated for him, by himself for his people. He had never seen a king like Jesus with both power and meekness in the same person, and he was amazed. Jesus is amazing. Jesus lived a question-raising life. Jesus his power and meekness in the same person, and he is that for you and for me. Jesus lives a question-raising life. Verse 11. I'm sorry, back up to uh, verse 6. Here we go. Now, at the feast, he, Pilate, used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. The man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the insurrection. The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so, uh, to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. Answering again, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, 
crucify him. But Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Jesus lived a question-raising life. Who, who killed Jesus? Who killed Jesus? It, it was the Romans. Pilate killed Jesus. It was the Jewish authorities. They killed Jesus. It was the crowd that, that yelled, crucify him, crucify him. They killed Jesus. It was me. I killed Jesus. It was you. You killed Jesus. But most, it was the Father who killed Jesus. That, that should raise some questions. So in Isaiah 53, verse 10, but the Lord was pleased. The Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, the one true God was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Who killed Jesus? God killed Jesus. The Father punished Jesus in our place. Jesus was put to death. The king suffered in place of his people. And it was God's will to crush him. It was the Father's pleasure. That should raise questions. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. When I look at Jesus and I see the depths to which he was willing to go for me and for you. I should ask the question, Father, what kind of love do you have for me? How high is your love for me that you would send the Son to suffer in my place? How deep is the love of Jesus that he would suffer for me? How wide is the love of the Spirit that would gather me with all those for whom Jesus died and he would help me to see my need of Jesus and to put my trust in Jesus and to receive eternal life from Jesus? Oh, what great love! It should make us ask the question, is there anyone else in all the universe, who would love me like he does. Pilate passes Jesus off to his soldiers. And the soldiers took him away into the palace, that is, the praetorium. And they called together the whole Roman cohort. They dressed him up in purple and after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to acclaim him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they began beating his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling and bowing before them. After they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off him, and put, him, 
put his own garments on him and they led him out to crucify him. What questions come as, as you hear this description of the suffering king? Why did he suffer? Why did his coronation come through crucifixion? Why did the establishment of his sovereign rule come through suffering? It had to be for you and for me to to be made acceptable to God. The king had to suffer in our place. We see in the suffering of Jesus how bad our sin really is. We see in the suffering of Jesus how great the love of God really is. We see in the suffering of Jesus how just God is to punish sin. We see in the suffering of Jesus how gracious God is to make a way for sinners like me and you to to be acceptable to him. We see in the sufferings of Jesus the lengths to which he was willing to go to rack up for us a record of righteousness that through his suffering, Jesus was obedient to the Father in all things. So in Hebrews 12, what was it that kept Jesus through the mockings and the beatings and the crucifixion? What was it that kept him Joyful obedience to the Father, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand, the throne of God. Jesus had a heart filled with joy in obeying the Father for you. Oh, have you seen the love and joy of Jesus expressed to you? Are you trusting in him alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel? Are you willing to accept and admit the bad news of the gospel that that you killed Jesus? I killed Jesus. It was my sin that was placed on him on the cross. It it was my beating. It was my scourging that, that Jesus took upon himself. I'm Barabbas who gets set free because my king died for me. Are you willing to, to believe the good news that the suffering wasn't wasted? that it was the Father's will to crush him. Are you willing to commit? Are you willing to commit? Oh, Jesus, I surrender. You lead. I'll follow. You move into my life and help me become the person you want me to be. Oh, you stick out of my life. And our part is, is to believe. Truly, truly, Jesus said, he who believes has eternal life. Are you believing in Jesus today? Is he the king in your life? Have you followed him in commitment? Are you willing to say, oh, king, Jesus, you lead. 
I'll follow. If you have, as you follow him, you'll live a question-raising life. What would happen this week if, if we leave through these doors to follow King Jesus and we lived under the loving rule of King Jesus in the world, in our neighborhoods, in our offices, in our gyms, in a way that, that raised questions? What, what would happen to our gospel conversations, if, if people came and they said things like, why, why do you have integrity? Why are you choosing to, to hold sex in marriage? Why are you staying married when it's so challenging? Why do you say the things that you say? Why do you do the things that you do? Why are there cars parked in front of your house every week? Why do you open your home to, to have people in your home? Don't they mess it up? And I see those kids, they're playing in your backyard. Don't they just make your life so messy? Why do you live the way that you live? What would happen if we lived a question-raising life? Let me show you how. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame when when we set apart Jesus as lord when we go through those doors out into the world to live in the world in unique ways because Jesus has taken control in our lives. Jesus has become king. Jesus has established his authority and rule in our life. When we look at his death, when we look at the cross, and when we see his resurrection, we're filled with hope. And we're enabled to give people hope in the answers that we give. So when someone comes and says, why are your kids so well behaved? We, we don't say, well... Isn't it obvious? They have an amazing father. No. We give them the hope of the gospel that the reason my kids are different is because of Jesus. And oh, I forget about Jesus all the time. But Jesus is the reason for the hope that I have. And Jesus is the one who's making a difference in my kids' lives. What would, what would happen if, if people came and they said, how is it that you are experiencing so much joy in your marriage? And I said, well, don't you know it's because I'm such a great husband? No, I said, because of Jesus. The hope that I have is in Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. How much easier would gospel conversations be? If we lived a question-raising life. So let's go fishing this week. What would happen if we 
as the nine o'clock service, we joined hands together and we said, we want to raise questions this week. Now, look around. There are some questionable people in here. But I think we could live question-raising lives this week. I think that if we set apart Jesus as Lord and we went out where we live, work, and play, and we lived under the loving authority of Jesus, that, that people would have questions. I think that we could play 20 questions as a group. 20 times this week, I think some of you would be asked questions about the way you're living your life. So here's what I want you to do this week. As a service, I want you to raise 20 questions this week. So whomever of you gets asked a question, I want you to email me at dave at goodnewsloves.com. Dave at goodnewsloves.com. I want you to email me what happened. Now, it could be as simple as just the subject line, I got asked a question. Now, I'm not talking about like, what time is it? What's the temperature? I'm talking about a, a real question that gives you the opportunity to have a gospel conversation, even if it's as simple as it's Jesus. It could just be a subject line. I got asked a question. It could be the story. I would love to hear the story of, of what happened, who asked the question, and how you responded. But I think 20 of us this week could have that experience of someone coming and raising a question because we're following Jesus and he's sticking out of our life for all the right reasons. Let me give you three strategies. Number one, number one, um, love people and serve them. To live a question-raising life, to, to raise questions this week, find someone to serve. Find a way to serve in your office or, or in your neighborhood or in your family. Find a way to love and serve people. That's a strategy. Here's a second strategy. Smile and have some joy. Let your attitude reflect the person that has suffered for you. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Let his joy become your joy. Let your attitude reflect that that Jesus has given you hope. Rejoice. That would raise questions. Love and serve and, and let your attitude reflect who Jesus is in your life. And, and listen, here's a third one. Here's a third strategy. When you're criticized this week, stay silent. As a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. When you're criticized this week, don't defend yourself. And listen, after you've held your tongue, don't go and then complain about it to someone else. Keep quiet. So, so listen, love and serve people. And let your attitude reflect the same attitude of Jesus who was filled with joy and his obedience to the Father. And, and when you're criticized this week, don't defend yourself and, and don't criticize and complain in return, but, but be quiet. When you live that way, when you use those strategies, I promise it'll raise questions. And when it does, be ready to give a reason for the hope 
that is in you. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the heights of your love for us. Jesus, thank you for the depths to which you were willing to go to seek and to save us when we were lost. And Holy Spirit, thank you for the width to which you will go to gather people from among every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And that gathering is happening right here, right now. As, as someone says to you for the first time, Father, I, I'm becoming aware of, of why Jesus died. It was for me. It was my punishment that was placed on him. And Jesus, I admit, I admit how much I need you. I've sinned. I'm in big trouble. Jesus, I believe you paid the full and awful penalty that my sin deserves. Jesus, I commit. You come in. Be Savior. Be Lord. I'll follow you. Now you stick out for all the right reasons. And Jesus, all of us would want this week to raise questions through the way we live our lives under your authority and rule. And may we be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.